Please pray with me. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I saw a cartoon the other day by an Episcopal priest, and in the cartoon there are two small children having a conversation as they look up at the tall, resplendent Advent wreath in their church, much like our own here at St. John's. The little girl in the cartoon says to the little boy, it's called an Advent wreath. We use it to count the days until Christmas. And the little boy says back to her, you mean it's so we can know how many shopping days are left, right? To which the little girl responds, I'm sensing that you might have a need for some remedial Sunday school work. None of you all need that remedial Sunday school work, of course, but today is the first Sunday of Advent, the beginning of the new Christian year, and Lest you think that we got the readings wrong, we're meant to be hearing this apocalyptic text from Luke's Gospel account this morning. Listen again to a bit of what Jesus said. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding, Jesus says, because of what is coming upon the world. Now, if you place this text chronologically, then you will notice that these sayings come not at the beginning of the Jesus story, they don't come uh, at the same time as the nativity, but they come near the end, right before the passion story in Luke's gospel account. Here in this passage, Jesus predicts terrible times that are to come, war and destruction and suffering and natural disasters. One common way to read this text is a a foreshadowing of the suffering and the pain that Jesus will experience on the cross. Maybe in this passage, Jesus is speaking to his disciples metaphorically about the intense trial that he will soon face. That's one good way to read this passage. But as many biblical scholars point out, these words were, were written down decades after Jesus' crucifixion as well as after the wars, the turmoil, the the destruction of the temple in the first century. And so, while that doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus didn't speak these words, more likely it means that when Luke was writing about these signs and predictions, when he was putting all of that down on paper, he was calling to mind a, a collective suffering and fear that the people of first century Palestine had, had all experienced. This is all heavy stuff that we might prefer not to hear, but that's some of the holy work of Advent. T.S. Eliot once wrote in his four quartets that humankind cannot bear very much reality. Advent is all about seeing the world as it really is, dark and at times cruel. The Episcopal priest and theologian Fleming Rutledge, in her her excellent new book on Advent, writes this about the church season that we begin today. She says, every year, Advent begins in the dark. She says, it takes some practice to get used to Advent, but once you do, you will never want it any other way. Advent, Rutledge writes, teaches us to delay Christmas in order to experience it truly when it finally comes. Advent is designed to show us that the meaning of Christmas is diminished to the vanishing point if we are not willing to take a fearless inventory 
of the darkness. A fearless inventory of the darkness. The truth for most of us, maybe all of us, is that we, we don't want to inventory the darkness. We don't want to see the unpleasant uh, during many times of our lives, but most especially during the run-up to Christmas. And so instead we hope to see and to experience the light, the joy, the, the mirth of life in this festive season. But one of the many messages of Advent is that it's only after thoroughly examining the dark all around us that we can appreciate and receive the light when it comes into the world and, and truly receive it for what it is, our eternal hope and not simply a, a stale, pious cliché. Advent, therefore, is about hope. As we prayed together when we lit the, the first Advent candle on our wreath this morning, we prayed that as we light this candle, so too will a fire of hope be kindled in our hearts. And so what, what is that hope? The hope is that those signs about which Jesus speaks today, the wars and the turmoil, the natural disasters and the pain and sorrow that so often accompany them, the hope is that, that even in our present suffering, Christ is with us. The hope is that when Christ returns, that's the other side, the flip side of Advent, we think about not only his first coming into the world, but also his second coming. When Christ returns, the hope is that those things, all of that pain, all of that suffering will come to an end. But as Jesus says to us today, we've got to stay awake. We've got to, to be alert. We've got to stand in solidarity with those who are presently sitting in darkness and to remind them to remind ourselves of the unshakable hope that we have been given in Christ Jesus. Don't lose hope is the message of Advent. Like all of you, I was very sad to hear the news yesterday morning of the death of George H.W. Bush, a president, a patriot, a husband, a father, a faith-filled man who, upon receiving his party's nomination for president, called for a, a kinder, kinder and a gentler nation, a call that I think we desperately need to hear again today. I was talking with some longtime parishioners yesterday morning, and they, they let me know that when George H.W. Bush was president and then vi uh, vice president and then president, he and his wife Barbara would regularly attend services here at St. John's Church. Our archivist and church historian Dick Grimmett uh, sent me a picture yesterday afternoon of, of President Bush leaving the services with Dr. Harper uh, on the morning of his inauguration. He was a, a regular attendee here at St. John's. And then in some of the news reports that I read yesterday, yesterday uh, in the New York Times, uh, at the end of his life, as he lay in his bed in Texas, surrounded by his, his family members and his friends, the rector of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, his home parish, was also there, offering prayers for President Bush as he transitioned from, from this life to the next life. President Bush was a faithful Episcopalian, a faithful Christian to the very end. As I read again about the life of President Bush yesterday, I was reminded of a time in, in his life when he could have lost all hope, and no doubt did for a time. You all know this story, I know, but in, in 1953, soon after George H.W. Bush had moved his family to Midland, Texas, to get into the oil business, the couple's much-beloved and, and only daughter, Pauline Robinson, Robin Bush, when she was three years old, complained of feeling tired, of being fatigued. 
Mrs. Bush decided to take Robin to a pediatrician, and a few days after the visit, the doctor called with a terrible diagnosis. She had leukemia. The doctor said what every parent prays, that they will never hear uh, about their children, that they should take their child home to die, that they should comfort her, that they should love her, but as the doctor said, that they should gently let her slip away at home. The day after getting this, this hard, terrible news, the Bushes flew with Robin to New York where they moved into the apartment of George Bush's grandparents in Manhattan. Bush's uncle was a doctor at Sloan Kettering and they took Robin there to begin to receive some treatment. Robin stayed in the hospital for seven months, having regular bone marrow tests and blood transfusions. And President Bush talked about how this would always drive him from her hospital room in anguish because he hated seeing his daughter lying on the hospital bed. And then in 18, October 1953, after, after doing all that they could for their daughter, uh, Robin died. The historian John Meacham writes really wonderfully about all of this in his, his, his biography of President Bush that came out a few years ago. And, and in that biography, he tells of, of the letter that the grieving George H.W. Bush wrote to his own mother after the loss of his daughter and the the great void that he and Mrs. Bush were experiencing. This is a bit of what he wrote to his mother in that letter. He said, There is about our house a need. We need some starch, crisp frocks to go with all the torn blue jeans. We need a dollhouse to stand firm against our forts and rackets and thousand baseball cards. He said, We need someone to cry when I get mad and not argue. We need a girl, he writes. We had one once. She would fight and cry and play like all the rest, but there was about her a certain softness. She was patient. Her peace made me feel strong and so very important, he wrote. And then at the end of the letter he said, but she is still with us. We need her and yet we have her. We can't touch her and yet we feel her. We hope, we hope that she will stay in our house for a long, long time. After Mrs. Bush died earlier this year, President Bush said that when he gets to heaven, there are a number of people that he hopes to see. Barbara, of course, is his beloved wife, his mother, his father, and and Robin, his little girl. In the funeral liturgy in the Episcopal Church, it starts out in this way. We we say, when we begin that beautiful liturgy, I I am the resurrection and I am the life, says the Lord. That's how, that's how the liturgy begins. It'll begin that way on Wednesday at the National Cathedral when President Bush uh, is, is, is buried there. Whoever has faith in me shall have life even though they die. This is the liturgy going on. And everyone who has life and has committed themselves to me in faith shall not die forever. That's the great hope that we proclaim in Christianity. It's the hope that President and Mrs. Bush knew and believed, and it's, it's our great hope as we see the signs of things to come in the sun and in the moon and, and in the very stars. The promise of hope isn't that we as followers of Jesus will escape the suffering, the pain, and the, the distress about which Jesus speaks today. No, that's, that's not the promise of hope. We have and we will experience those things just like everyone else. The promise of hope that we proclaim this Advent season and and all year long in the church is that even in the midst of those great trials, those great tribulations, we say we believe that God in Christ is with us, that God in Christ is sustaining us. As has been said 
many times from this pulpit in the past, the promise of God in Christ to each one of us is not maximum protection, but maximum support through all the ups and downs of life. The promise of hope is that Christ will come, that Christ will come again, and and when he comes again, it will be the God of mercy and no one else. At the end of today's somewhat foreboding lesson, Jesus tells a parable. He says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. What he doesn't say in this short parable is when the fig tree begins to lose its leaves, you know that winter is coming. It's a, it's a small detail, a subtle detail that he offers to us today, but I think it's a profound one. Jesus in this parable speaks of summer and new life and not winter with barrenness and death. He's, he's describing an anticipated kingdom and calling us not to concentrate only on what is passing away and being lost, but instead to focus on those things that are sprouting and being built up all around us. It's an invitation that he speaks to us today, an invitation to to be fellow participants in the coming of the kingdom of new life, to work with Christ, to make all things new. Today we hear a call from Jesus to be his hope, to bear his hope in the world, to put on the armor of light, as the collect for the first Sunday of Advent says, and to cast away all the works of darkness. The invitation this Advent is not to lose hope, but rather to be the hope the world needs. Yes, Advent begins in the dark, but we have been given the light. We have the promised light of Christ with us always, and that is our great hope. Amen.